Welcome to Directly Correct, a BMS podcast with Colin Scott. Today we are live from Louisiana Tech University with the faculty and students of the IO PhD program. But now I'm like reverting back to like, I don't know, like all like the scar tissue I've had about like learning public speak over the years. And like I'm trying to like learn on the fly right now. I had the opportunity to talk to Tillman this morning. He's like, of all people, to be a public speaker, it was not going to be you. And I told him like, I'm not talking about me. No, talking about me. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, uh, self centered. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks. I'm self centered. Ego. That was perfect. Back to the ego. But like, yeah, I told him I'm not any better. I just don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) Like, I just gave up caring. Well, so like, what's what's the most recent like public speaking that you've done? Uh, I spoke at Babson College yesterday. Really? Like in person or no? No, I didn't fly to Boston. Okay, just remotely. And actually. I had an error. Oh, it went really well once I get start once I got started. But like at the very beginning, like I had to reboot my computer right when it was my turn uh, to go. Yeah, because the yeah. it wouldn't allow me to share my screen otherwise. That would be almost like if you bought a new pair of microphones to record. Yeah, and they almost like work, that. You know, that'd be like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just really thrown off by that. Uh, but where are we, Cole? I don't know. Do you want to talk about? chat gpt you want to talk about some movies you want to i don't know i i meant more i meant more like uh physically <laughs> where, where oh, are we? okay so for those of you who are listening we are in ruston louisiana at louisiana tech university with the io psychology phd program tillman sheets uh who's been a guest on the podcast before so graciously invited us here and uh i'm pumped i'm in full uh for the people who are listening i'm in full louisiana tech garb and you I'm pretty excited. Look at you. You I've got, got socks on. Bulldog sock. I actually have my blue boxers on, which I won't show anybody. <laughs> so, full Louisiana Tech garb. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Enough about that. But, I mean, like, alluded to earlier, like, this place has changed so much, but at the yeah. same time, like, not changed much at all. It's really good to be back. I, I didn't know I was going to actually miss it. You actually get to come back. Like, you're Yeah, I come back area. pretty frequently. Actually see it. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been in Woodard, I don't know how long. But it's Woodard Hall is where we're recording this, and um, my office back from when I was a student was literally across the hall from here. Really? But the strange thing about this room, I've never been in here before, and I worked across the hall for like four years. Um, but they, it's they used to it used like, to be locked. Yeah, it used to be locked, and some other program had this room, and so like this is the first time I've ever been in here. Do you remember your like first day in the program? Because you're you're I the do. first cohort, so it's yeah. probably a very different experience. It was I the. I vague. I remember this one thing where they sat down all the students, and we were all supposed to talk about like what our research interests would be. <laughs> and I didn't know what my research interests were, so I just totally copied the person in front of me. <laughs> 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 like I want to do exactly what they're doing, and uh, I just remember I was really ashamed about that. I don't know what what was your first day like. That that's really wild. Uh, <clears throat> I do have a story about that, but okay. it would be great for you to track what people's research interests were coming in. To what they, what their dissertation was. Know you're talking to me. What? Your audience didn't know you're. Talking oh yeah, to me. I'm talking to Tillman Sheets here. <laughs> um, and then what they actually wind up doing. Like I came in thinking I was going to be doing um, psychometrics. It's what I'd done in the past and what I figured I was going to be doing. Well, yeah, you but, had a master's in this already, though, mm-hmm. didn't you? I did. I did, and I worked for uh, several years developing psychometric assessments. Well, I mean, I feel like. To what you're doing now, psychometrics is like a gateway drug in a way. It is. Like, it it's is very much like it's not a big transition. If if you had told me you were doing like Peter Block OD consulting and then went into what you were doing, that would be a much bigger stretch. You, that that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, and I, I actually got really lucky. It's funny how like you just kind of like fall ass backwards into sort of things. Uh, I once again like imagine I was going to go into psychometrics and. Landed a company is like here, you, uh, we brought you on to do network analysis, and I was yeah. like, "How do you do that?" And they said, "We don't know." That's why we got you. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, I guess I'll figure it out. And by the end of that summer, mm-hmm. my teammate that uh, was developing the predictive attrition model, he had left, and my boss had left. So I ran the whole show, but I learned so much. Learned so much just doing everything essentially the job of three people well and don't make me regret this but i, I want to come back to the you thought you were going to be doing psychometrics what was your dissertation on 
developing a automatically uh, automatic item generation measure of cognitive ability. So, so that's kind of psychometric-y, right? Oh, very yeah. much so. Yeah, very so, much. I mean, so. it wasn't like completely devoid of what you were doing. No, no, no. But I'm just saying, like the path that people actually go on, because like you start out day one. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm going to measure performance. I think I said I'm not. I'm not joking here. I said human factors. I never even studied, wrong program. I never studied human factors for one day <laughs> in this program. And I was like, oh, yeah, human factors. That's definitely what I want to be doing here. I, I, but you give me a flashback. Uh, we were in that big auditorium at the end of the hall, if it's still there. I don't know. I've been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I looked nervous or didn't know what to do. And, like, Tillman came over and, like, handed me a coffee cup. He's like, you look like you need something to do. Just hand me a coffee cup to give me something just to focus on. I was like, all right. Like, he said, that's the nicest way of saying Go get me coffee. <laughs> no, he, he, he didn't. Your he didn't first want day coffee. Student. He's just like here. You look <laughs> like you're like still in the corner. Nothing yeah. to do. That's funny. My gosh. The other thing, the funny thing about my cohort is there's lots of things funny about your cohort. Well, so the, that first day, there were two other people there that like dropped immediately <laughs> and were gone forever. One quarter. Yeah, or like Wait, one quarter what? in. So there, were, I'm not going to mention names. On yeah, the yeah, podcast yeah. Or anything, but like there were two people, and then we had a late edition after that and so my actual like graduating cohort was completely different than that first day and so that first day was a very not representative day of my experience if that makes sense so people started and they realized this just wasn't for them yeah almost perfect time to do it yeah i mean if you're gonna leave do it soon you know but then we like yeah like i just think about i don't know why i think think about it but we we used to have the office over there and there was this game this um like a computer game, and it was called Go Right. Have you? Have anybody ever heard of this game, Go Right? It's like the Chinese game Go? No. And it, it was literally, you press the arrow key to the right, and your player just <laughs> runs, and nothing happens. <laughs> like, it just keeps going right forever. Like Mario, if Mario were going, but nothing ever happened, and we would just do that in our office, and that shows how crazy a PhD program makes you. You would play a game like Go Right. That's, that's horrible. <clears throat> that was a John Buckner thing, Tillman. You'll appreciate that. That has like same energy as like the people that flip the water bottles. Yes. You know, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, in a way, all this is really pointless. <laughs> or but, chips. You know. Do what? Or shuffle chips. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, Someone is known to do when they're trying to be menacing to graduate students. Uh, do any other moments stand out? Like, what was like comps like or passing comps? That was a man. We're really going there, aren't we? Um, so I, I did you pass? I, I did not pass the whole thing on the first try. Yeah. And so then we had to do an oral um, component to it to like show to clarify. And so I think there were three components. Passed two of them and was like a misstep on one. Right. Had to do orals and then pass through that, and that was uh, very stressful. <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot riding on it. Absolutely. It makes people crazy too. Yeah, it kind of does. Well, and because we were the first cohort, no one knew what to expect, including the faculty. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys would agree with that. And so it was just kind of like, all right, we'll see what happens now. <laughs> it was very, very strange and difficult. I'm having flashbacks. Like, this is the room that we took comps in. Really? This is where everything was set up. Oh, my gosh. And, like, <laughs> over there, like, where Michelle is, or, like, maybe to the left is where, like, my desk was for those two weeks. And uh, I would... Uh, Caffeine makes me chatty, so I was eating Excedrin, like, all day, and, like, just, like, typing like crazy. I remember it vividly, so I know exactly how you feel, yeah. except ours was down the hall, and I remember where the desk was, I remember where I was sitting, I remember, like, I had, like, my, like, my notes on a piece of paper and stuff like that, it was just very, an intense moment, and, like, it's, like, one of those things, I know I'm gonna remember this when I'm, like, 80 years old. <laughs> I don't know if it's meant to be that intense, but that's how it felt. I, I remember going home on those, like, days and just – I've never experienced the feeling of not thinking anything. Like, just lay down the couch and just be like, I'm not thinking. It's See, just, this is it's what just I thought, totally passive, like, just no thoughts going through it all. This is what I thought ego depletion was, to kind of go full circle. I thought that that's what the theory meant. Is that what ego depletion is? No, I don't believe so. I think it's Okay, like I'm completely off on this. <laughs> it's all, it's all, but I mean, I think that is definitely apt as yeah. far as like something that could be applied there. Yeah. Um, but of course, like once you pass comps, then like it's time to actually. Well, then it's dissertation. Dissertation time. time. And then the weirdest thing about the dissertation, 
and I feel like I'm just sharing this because you know the captive audience here probably cares about what that's like um, is it's very anticlimactic it like, is like the hardest parts are when you're all alone <laughs> and doing this just trudgery <laughs> for months at a time like I remember one summer this is a whole summer I, I was uh, I'd moved out of my apartment because I had passed comps and but I had a job I was going to start but I didn't have any place to live because my lease had ended so I moved back in with my parents and I literally started typing at eight in the morning and t- five p.m. I stopped typing yeah like I just did that all day <laughs> for my dissertation and it was it was just editing typing doing research like running tables like all this kind of stuff and I did that for three months straight like that's the hard part of your dissertation and not the Oh, like the thing that you know backwards and frontwards that you present in front of your your committee and everything at the end like at that point it's just like ah oh, this is just par for the course like you know maybe they'll stop hitting me now it's, <laughs> like, I don't know. it's definitely like a thing to like break it up into chunks like like make the title page <laughs> like just, just do anything but i had, I had a very different experience like i, I took, really what was your side yeah I, I took the year off after comps mm-hmm. to not work and what just focus do? on dissertation. So, like, quite literally, I'd go up to the office, come up here, and just kind of work all day. Um, it, was, it was super, super valuable because you're never going to get that time back. Plus, you have, like, faculty support at that point. But uh, just kind of, like, took my time to do it and had all the time in the world. Uh, so we'd go eat lunch, talk about things, like, course correct as needed. Um, hell, I'd go to the doghouse. I remember I, I distinctly going to the doghouse, coming home, being like, I'm going to dissertate. It went from like 2 in the morning until 4 in the morning. I woke up the next day. I was like, let me read this. And I was like, this is trash. It's going to be trash. It was beautiful. It was so good. Like, it needed to be edited, but yeah, I was like, Every, so Everybody needs pleased. a second pass, yes. you know? Don't be, you got to give yourself credit. No, that's, that sounds – this wasn't the dissertation time, but this was definitely pre-comps and just later on in the program uh, there was uh, – what was that restaurant called? Jeez. It had two for one burgers and I would go there. McDonald's. And, and so it was Amy uh, Frost, uh, Stevenson yeah, yeah, yeah. now, she's been a guest on the podcast before. We'd go there and one of us would pay and we'd get two burgers. So each of us would have a burger and then we'd, you know, get drunk and then come back and I would be doing like writing for whatever my next paper was or reading papers. And yeah, it was, uh, those are crazy times. Is, is the doghouse still there? Like I tried to drive by it last night. They it's tore it down and they rebuilt it. It's rebuilt. Man. It's not the same. Cats in the cradle. Just a different time. <laughs> I, you know what's... I think it's, it's really great is... And this is going to sound really cheesy, but I don't care. I feel like I get to know you so well through this podcast. And just, I, I feel like I've learned a lot about you just in this one little section today. <laughs> no, because our experience is... Although, I mean, I don't know how many years removed. Were you, like, four years behind me? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. <clears throat> I started in 2013, so we're almost 10 years. Yeah, so I started in 2009. So that would be mm. f- four years or five years, depending on how the school cycles worked. Yeah, we didn't um, overlap. <clears throat> we didn't overlap, and so... I did come to your d- defense oh, in you this did? room, I believe. No, it was, it was the one down the way. It was Because uh, it was the same room I took comps in, too. Mm. I remember that. Um but, yeah, man, that was way different, <laughs> it seems like. That, that's the strangest thing about – and I feel like I, I've just continued on this pathway afterwards. So I was in the first cohort of the Ph.D. program. I've started people analytics functions a bunch of times. I've – like, most of the things I do are kind of, like, either underdogish or trailblazing in one way or another. And it's just, like, a trend. And so I can't have imagined having been, like, what you went through because, like, I guess four or five groups had cycled through comps, like a bunch of people had done their dissertation. So you had like, a, like, yeah, you like knew, you kind of knew what was coming. Like every day we didn't know what was coming. Like I've joked about this with Tillman a bunch of times. I remember literally, and I found it when I, after a few years after I left the program, where we sat down and we had a meeting on what are we going to name our consulting group? <laughs> we like, had all these names written down. And Whoa, it became you're part of that. Yeah, like we wow. named the group. The actual name. Like that was a meeting. That was a real meeting that happened. <laughs> And like, like, yeah, it was a long, it was a bunch of crappy names. World of experience. Yeah. <laughs> and this was the least bad one. But but we, I think we have like an underutilized group in the room already. We got a bunch of uh, PhD IO students. Oh yeah, they're so much smarter. That are going through it right now. 
What, what are you guys' concerns? Yeah, what are your experiences like? This is going to work really well. <laughs> Let's see, you start calling on people. Yeah. What's your experience, that's Michelle? I, I got to talk to Michelle at Psyop, and it was very lovely. I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play again. Yes, thank you so much. Please do, Tillman. And, and feel free to like go whatever direction. Like, yeah. you want to share what's going on here? You want to ask a question? You want to like know what it was like back in the day? Hit us with it. Well, it what's your matter. favorite song right now? <laughs> I don't have time for songs right now. Oh, it's good answer with the faculty day. here. I thought I was sick last night. I was in Tillman's class, actually. I had to, like, help out, like, half, like halfway through it. Leadership? Yes. Yes. Leadership class. I'm just trying to survive right now. Um, my cohort, we just recently discussed about comms, actually. Like, try to set a date and everything, and we're pretty nervous about it. Yeah. Are you guys second years? Or second, first? moving to, like, you know. Third. Yeah. Okay. Who, who's first year? Just raise your hands. First year, second years. Okay. Third years, over here. Okay. So we got a, We got a, we got a smattering of everybody. This is really good. Yeah. I don't know any words of wisdom. Uh, how do what are comps like now, Tillman? Like, are they? I mean, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I feel like, I, okay, I'm asking this for me, but I feel like everyone in my cohort want to know as well. How do you start studying for clubs? We don't know where to start right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, this actually segues. This is my advice, and Scott, you can give yours in a second. Because we've talked about it before. Like, what are the heavy-hitting articles over, like, the last 20 or 30 years in research? And just um, – and, like, they guide my career now. But at the time with comps, it was, like, knowing what is every seminal article and kind of every – you know, offshoot or discipline of biopsychology, that's a really great starting point. And then my, my, my daisy chain effect was to just go look at their references. What did they reference? And then just kind of go from there. And then obviously going back to the curriculum from the classes that you took, but just being aware of kind of the base corpus of knowledge in all of these disciplines. Yeah, I, I, that, that's the place that I'd go to. Like what I would do again is uh, go get AMOTS, io psychology oh, undergrad yeah. book that's a good hack it's a just a uh, textbook and it covers all the major areas like all 13 it's like 13 15 chapters and it has you know everything from assessment development uh, selection recruiting all the way through od and that provides you just a base knowledge and super digestible sort of way and then that is your outline headers you know, then you can start filling in the gaps that you see that are missing from there with all these, like, newer articles, yeah. seminal pieces, and this sort of thing. But, I mean, that, that's a great way to just understand the entire field very quickly. And here's, here's one addition. This is kind of a joke, but this is kind <coughs> of serious. Just go find Herman McGinnis's Vita and just read every article in his Vita. I've actually done this before. And he covers – he does everything. He's an amazing, amazing researcher. He publishes, like, 20 major articles every year. And so just read his Vita, and you've got it covered, and just cite every citation in your comps as a Guinness et al. <laughs> you've got it covered. You can just never go wrong. Yeah. I, I'd love to talk to, like, some of these people that just got out of comps because, like, they're probably the smartest people in the room as far as, like, their knowledge base. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, like, just it's, it's impossible to, like, keep up with new technology. New technology. I'm like new citations. I mean, are they even worth keeping up with? I mean, maybe they could tell us. Are new citations worth keeping up yeah, with? Yeah, what, what are the cool citations that you guys are seeing right now? Like, what's your, what's your favorites that are just, like, kind of pop out at you? You thought it was over. <laughs> uh, I guess it's <laughs> I love it. I guess it's different based on our interests. I mean, my, like, the recent citations I pulled are, I guess, first thing, uh, I definitely agree with the textbook approach to starting. Mm -hmm. um, and the one I read, I read the AMOT one, and I read uh, Donald Truxillo's. He oh, yeah. He came out with one last one. year, so it had some COVID uh, sections in it. It was pretty good. Um, but, like, my interests were psychometrics mainly, and then, um, like, language models and uh, network models and stuff. Yeah. So a lot of my stuff dealt with that. Like, I, I read a lot of 
the recent Sackett articles and okay. some of the annual reviews to pick up on the big things that I wasn't aware of, but Matt probably has a different take on that. Main thing I was going to mention was annual review articles. They're oh really yeah, good. the uh, blue books. What are those blue books called? Um, those are handbooks. Handbook, yeah, the handbook of biopsychology. Those yeah. things are great. But there's no recent ones, but the annual reviews are yeah. always updating. And yeah, the, the most the, recent ones, incredible. Yeah, that's a really good edition. Right. Came out a, a lot of ago. good articles. But the uh, and it's open source. It's, yeah, it's free now online. And um, and talk about going down the daisy chain of citations. The annual review articles is where I found the individual articles that I went through and studied. Okay. That's a great hack, yeah. yeah. And, but uh, all, he did a lot of the psychometric stuff. Mine was more the OD, and I think the advice I'd give to y'all or anyone else is um, if, it's a, if it's a field or a body of literature that's confusing, just start drawing it out. Like my OD whiteboard, I took a picture of it when I was done. It looked like someone was just like, a crazy person wrote on it. But that's how I actually wrapped my mind around yes. the muddiness of OD. It's like, oh, these things connect, and it's not linear, but that's how you kind of wrap it around visual. So, I mean, speaking about that, like, um, I, I can show you guys a video later, but, like, I used to have this house, and I took all my citations, and I put them on sticky notes, and I put, like, uh, you know, the author and the year, and on the back, just a little bit about what it was, and I put them all over the house. And not like 20, like there was like 470 and I'd go through the house and like just kind of flip them over like, okay, no. And like through the first pass, I knew like half of them. So it's like flashcards kind of? Flashcards, but it was all over the house. It's like yeah. working with Einstein. You were building your, your It's the uh, method of loci is what it's called. But to your point, I, I was like, Wait, okay. What is this? Hold on. You can't just drop a reference like that and not explain that. So it's, it's like <clears throat> mental theater is what it's called. So you're able to like memorize vast amounts of information by visually picturing it in your mind. So you're like, I know this is all debunked, but you're like a visual learner or something like that? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But to his point, like, so I'd have a citation, say, in the living room, mm -hmm. and it connected one in the bathroom, and I could connect it to one on the fridge, and I could see how they all interacted together. And, like, when I was in comps, I'd be like, okay, I know exactly where that citation is in the house. Okay, so is this – I remember seeing, like, a Radio Lab episode about this a while back where if you want to do these memory contests, they actually tell themselves a story. Yeah. In a story. So it's kind of like that. Very similar. Okay. Uh, James Berg talks about this as well. Like, apparently, you know, obviously before, like, written words or the printing press, mm -hmm. people had, like, vast memories. And you have these, like, these bards that come to town, and they learn, like, thousands of lines of um, – uh, material yeah, in like one go, in one go, or something, you know, hmm? like like the Odyssey or something like that. Oh, well, it's more like the newspaper of the day. Oh, okay. but yes, yes, uh, sort of thing. Um, but there's also no substitute for reading. You need to read. You know, looking at other people's outlines just doesn't cut it. You just don't have the context. Well, this isn't contrary, but I, I am curious what you think about this. I know a lot of people have switched from like reading actual books lately to audiobooks. Do you think there's a difference? Yes. <clears throat> In what way? Yes. Uh, I don't know what the process is. I, I know that um, so, someone out there is doing research, and I'm not familiar with it. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something to do with, like, the active process of it. It's not really reading. You're, you're getting the story and this sort of thing, but it's you're not processing it in the same way. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't believe it at all. <clears throat> yeah, because what I've done <clears throat> recently, and I'm – I, I don't fault people for getting audiobooks because, like, I like to watch TV. <laughs> you know, this is the exact same thing. But reading is a different animal. So what I do now, if I'm considering buying a book, is I find – because, like, authors, they don't go do book tours anymore. They just join people's podcasts. Yeah. So I go listen to an episode of the podcast, and I have, like, three categories where I'm like, okay, this book really sucks. <laughs> I'm never going to buy this. I listen to the podcast and I feel like I've already learned everything in the book and so I don't need to buy it. And then like, or they just really whet my appetite. I'm like, this is going to be an awesome book. And then I go buy the book. That's kind of my process. I don't know. Do you have, do you think about anything like that? Uh, not in those terms. Uh, what are you reading right now? You got think I'm the hopper? <sighs> well, like for work related stuff, I'm reading uh, Toby, I don't know how you say his last name, Colshaw, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, Talent so. Intelligence. He's a, he's an Amazon guy. Is he? Yeah. He's, uh, he's like the thought leader in talent intelligence. I'm reading his book right now. I have to go say hello. Yeah. Uh, he's not a different part of Amazon. I'm slowly working through uh, a lady tasting tea 
the book about Fisher. That's a it's fantastic. We're talking but, about like the psychometrician Fisher. Yeah, yeah, like the actual story behind it. It's very well written, very insightful of like how early mathematical uh, uh, derivations came about. Really? But um, I'm not as far through as I want to be. About nine chapters in. Okay. But it's super interesting book so far. Any, like, apocryphal stories in there? Apocryphal? Like, I didn't know. Well, you hear about these, like, people. You're like, Fisher. You're like, okay, that's just some dude. Don't ever. Might as well just be a deity. Yeah. Uh, hear about Spearman. Same thing. Um, a couple of these other guys. They were, like, feuding back and forth because they have, you know, these egos and this sort of thing. Yeah. But it's funny to hear about these actual people interacting as opposed to just seeing, like, student T-test or a correlation coefficient. Is one of those people the one that created P is less than 0.05? Somebody created that. Fisher? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I remember that reference. But not, but not as it's used. Well, I know. See, <laughs> that, that was called putting chum in the water for Tillman to jump in, because I know you have very strong feelings about this. Well, I think I recommended <clears throat> this book on your podcast. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, one of the funniest uh, messages I've ever received uh, was from Tillman Sheets, and I was trying to convince him to go to, like, Doghouse or one of these bars downtown, and he's like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And, I was, and he's like, I'll update you, I'll update you. I was like, okay, cool. So it was like 7 p.m. He's like, P is 0.20. And I was like, okay, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. It was like 9 o'clock. Like, P.1. You told us on this episode. I remember that. <laughs> like 10 o'clock is like P less than 0.001. That's a, that's a very Super funny. Super <laughs> funny. Well, have you watched any good movies lately? <laughs> oh, you want to go there? Yeah, let's do movies. Uh, Okay. Any good movies lately? Not that I can think of. Not that I can think of. I won't say it's good, but I did watch Wakanda Forever. It was Wakanda familiar. Forever. Yeah, it was like a decent like transition since uh, the main character from the Black Panther guy he passed away in like real life. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I'm I'm totally out on. I think COVID guy action movies. Wow. Yeah. But uh, what's up? I said you're living under a brick. Yeah, I I do. I, I like all the like the Marvel and DC movie. Like I don't know. I I don't watch any of that. Yeah. Um, but I'll be honest. I haven't made it all the way through because we watch movies in our house in like 15 minute intervals. <laughs> you have which, the kiddos between breakdowns, so <laughs> we haven't quite made it all the way to the end. Do you have any? Uh, let's make it IO related. Do you have any like favorite IO movies? Well, we all know what the go to IO movie is. Come on. Everybody knows it's this. Office it's space. Office Space. So I, I do, I'm a big fan of Office Space. I used to have a t-shirt with the, what's the main guy's name? Or the, I'm going to need you to come in this weekend. <laughs> you know? um, Lundberg. Lundberg, yeah. Yes. I don't know, but do we, you have a list, don't we? I do have a list of, not necessarily IO movies, because like Office Space does feature two IOs yeah. in the actual uh, the film. The, the Bobs. Bobs. Very yeah. good. But this is uh, 10 movies every HR professional must watch. And, like, the list gets kind of, like, tattered. Well, we can After skip around to the high points. Yeah, we'll want. only go through the first five. Uh, the first one is Invictus. Have you ever seen this? Invictus? You've seen it? Yeah. So it's a movie apparently about a rugby club in South Africa dealing with civil rights issues and... Nelson Mandela, and it says the message in this movie is clear for the HR managers. Employees can easily get disengaged and even pessimistic. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I can't <laughs> read. <laughs> um, we got like one got, person that's actually seen it. It's got Matt Damon in it. You know. Uh, I'm gonna skip number two because I got some thoughts on it. Number three is Moneyball. I've got thoughts on this. Oh, please go ahead. I actually didn't know what these movies were. I was actually really thinking about this the other day in, re- in relation to people analytics, not necessarily IO psychology, but pe- and, and this actually goes back to my point earlier about like starting something from scratch. Everybody thinks of Moneyball as like kicking off a generation of using analytics to like change the world. But if you really look at the story, it's like a crazy despondent guy who's like about to get fired, <laughs> who's like, oh gosh, uh, this better fucking work you know because otherwise i'm done and it's like that to me seems like more of the true story of like people analytics at least lately than you know oh everything's being moneyballized or you know i've seen so many people like we're gonna moneyball that in the last 10 or 15 years and it's like no i feel like 
it's very much a different story. I, I feel like this is a book and or movie that I'd really enjoy. I've never seen it. Really? I've, I've never seen it, but uh, it's like I've read the book too. It's. I mean, obviously, most of the time the book is better than the movie, but I'd say the movie's actually pretty dang good. I mean, it's super apt for you know what a lot of people do as far as like uh, developing ML models to yeah. hire and predict talent. Uh, number four is it's like a two for the internship and outsourced. The internship like, is this guy. Is that the Google one? Yeah, where they're at Google. Yeah. Where there's like there's like out of place sort of people. I feel like that was just an advertisement to work at Google. It was, like, completely <laughs> devoid of any reality. Well, but. there's also that one, like, Al Pacino, where he, like, comes back and out of retirement to... Is it Al Pacino? You know what I'm talking about? I feel yeah. like I Al, Al Pacino's in that movie. Is that what that is? I don't think... I don't know if it's Al Pacino, but that, I meant, that's the movie I thought you were talking about. No, the, so the internship apparently is... That was, like, Vince Vaughn and... De Niro. Um, yeah. De Niro. De Niro. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, an older man coming back into the workplace. Yeah. So we're talking about two different movies we here, are. but we absolutely are talking about that's okay. Movies. Okay, both of them are like the same theme, though. It's like, hey, you know, right. different people out of fish out of water. Uh, number five is the pursuit of happiness. Hard work wins in the end. Anyone seen this? Oh my god! Yeah, I've seen it. I've never that seen this. That movie is crushingly sad. Like it's the <laughs> it's the saddest happy movie you've ever seen. <laughs> like, like at every single turn, something bad happens to the guy, and it's like, and then eventually he makes it. But it's like this is is it's a movie that will make you feel horrible. <laughs> it's like Five Hundred Days of Summer. Have you ever seen that movie? I have. That movie it's is like depressing the guy just too. It's kicked in the gut like yeah. for the entire movie. And, and the like, whole point ends. is of the movie is. Oh, you're not going to actually fall in love with a girl you love. It's like, great, great point in the movie. Anyway. But number two, number two is Up in the Air. It's like one of my favorite movies. That's a good one. How many times have you seen it? I've seen it conservatively 12 times, something like that. I've probably seen it like 10 times as well. So, like, the the, the premise of the story is you got uh, uh, Clooney, George Clooney, and he travels around the U.S. firing people. So he goes there, treats them with dignity, fires them, and I think I love it because I love airport life. Like, I, I love everything about going to the airport. I got my little like uh, membership in the club, and you go mm-hmm. sit there and look at all the plebes down below, you <laughs> that sort of thing. But it, it it is so apt for today. So like, there's a young upstart girl comes in, mm-hmm. and her whole idea is we're gonna fire people over Zoom, and. We're going to save money, be very cost efficient, and it's it's a battle between keeping the old ways of treating people with respect versus like new ways of being more efficient. And I think it's so apt for today. Yeah, it seems like a replay of the Michael Arena episode all over again. Like, what is the future of work? Is it, you know, is it in person? Is it remote? Well, I mean, I we know. we just got through a bunch of firings where like what was like Google employees were. Just, their badges didn't work when they showed up to the office or like they were just laid off via emails. Mm-hmm. It's very, very similar. Oh, there's a lot of companies that do that. Um, you know, not like I've, I've heard of plenty of people over the last few months who just their email quit working and they're like, huh, I guess I'm fired now. <laughs> I mean, it, it's super scary, but I mean like as IOs, it's like something that we have voice in and need to have voice in. Uh, and I, I know that you wrote some articles recently about the voice of IOs. Did I? <laughs> Did you? I can't remember. I read so many scrap. Um, which one is it? <laughs> Give me a hint. I, just agree. Yeah. Just agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really good. Too. Super smart. Well thought out. Well written. No, no. You wrote you wrote a fantastic articles on what the HR space about uh, the power of. People analytics functions and mm-hmm. having a seat at the table. Oh, are you talking about the po- the power and politics article? Yes. Oh God, are you like I was like totally thinking something else. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the same way though. Like <clears throat> I'll write shit and people like come up and say like you did this. Like did I? Well, because I the don't thing, remember the thing that so like it's kind of like this podcast where you do an episode and then we release it later and you've forgotten what you talked about. Is I write these articles and then I release them a little bit later. And I'm like, what did I write about? Um, but so the point of that one was and where I got all of the pushback is should people analytics be the leader of the future of HR or should it just know its role and be a decision support function, which is kind of what it frames itself to be right now. You got pushback on this? I absolutely did. By some pretty, I mean, relatively prominent people in our field. Um, And, you know, I told them I 
disagreed with him. So there's that. That sounds very cold like. Yeah. No, I, I think it's one of the things. This is a, a space where I'm learning in public, if that makes sense, because I've never done this before. As you put something out there, and then people like write up these sometimes very well articulated, sometimes less so criticisms of you like really publicly. And I'm like, do I respond? Do I not respond? Do I go through like every line and say, here's why you're wrong, here's why you're wrong, or here's why you clearly didn't read what I wrote? Because a lot of people only read the title, and then they write a criticism about it. I'm like, well, the title is just supposed to be like, you know, get people to click on the article and then actually read it, but nobody actually reads it. This is why I don't participate. (laughs) It's totally devoid of the LinkedIn melee. When I'm actually thinking more and more over time about just not responding at all. I know that it kind of defeats the purpose. But... I mean, there's people who I, like, know in real life. Because that's, that's another thing. It's like, I'm not going to argue with, like, some random person I don't even know. But if I know them in real life, I'm like, okay, you know, we could probably talk about this on the phone at some point, you know? I, I, I love this line that you have in the article. It's, it's something the effect of, like, uh, did HR get tired of just pulling data, which is why they created eight, uh, people analytics functions? Yeah, yes. It's like, well, I said, I think I said something like, did your HR technology team just get tired of pulling data from your mm-hmm. HCM and your ATS just to get, like, and then that's why people analytics got started? Because if that's the reason, you don't need an IO psychology PhD or a data no. scientist or somebody who knows network analysis. You just need, like, frankly, in this day and age, automation, right? <laughs> like, some, like, at the simplest end, like macros and VBA at the most complicated end you know, a a very complex tool, you know, like many of the tools that are out on the market right now. Yeah, it really gets to, uh, you're hired to produce value, not just to pull data. So, like, you have a seat at the table. Or were you? Like, I think that's the the ongoing debate. Actually, I have a lot of feelings about this. No, please go on. Because it's like a lot of times... I, somebody was asking me for advice about job interviews earlier this week, and I think this applies. I said, one of the things that I'm trying to assess when I'm interviewing for a job is are they hiring me as like a human being who could come in and make things better, or are they hiring me to be their next promotion? And if they're hiring me just to be their next promotion, I'm just a tool. What, what does that mean? <clears throat> so like they bring you in, you, they kind of ride your coattails to get to where oh, they're going. Oh, gotcha. Right? And so they just want you to do exactly as you're told, don't come up with any ideas. Just perform really well in this very constrained environment rather than going out and assessing the organization like an internal consultant would mm-hmm. and going and fixing real problems. And doing. And so, like, I always go back to the job description and I say, is this job description written as if it were for a person who actually wants to add value to the company or is it a person who basically is doing what a machine can do and pulling reports very, you know, just a little bit quicker than the week before? So, like, what's your opinion on how say say you're in a people analytics function that mm-hmm. it feels stuck? Yeah, how can folks get out of that? Right? I mean, it depends on how they're stuck, obviously. Of but you know, let's say they're stuck in the case where all they're doing is reports. Like the, one of the things I've written about before is uh, supply and demand being out of whack. So you have three people on your team, you have a flat <coughs> supply, but the demand for reporting is going is skyrocketing. Right, it's going up and up and up. And clearly the equation is all off. How do you get out of that cycle? Well, in reality, you've got to do two things. First of all, you're not adding value through these reports. So you've probably got to find a way of automating them. And then you've got to go and get in touch with the business to find an actual thing that you should be fixing rather than just being a data provider ad nauseum. Just since we have these folks in the room, like. It's probably not good advice, but it is advice. Like, on the job, what I learned is if you see something that you want to do, don't ask permission. To start Just do it. Because if you ask permission, your boss is going to have input. It's going to go to a committee. It's going to get watered down. It's going to get muddied. And in the end, they might say no. And it's going to be a whole thing. But if you go ahead and do it, is going to be the way you want it, and you're going to get recognized far more yeah, just for I, doing that. I have just like a, I, I love that, and I have like a slight variation. I always <clears> tell the people <throat> on my team is a lot of people are waiting around for someone to give yes. them permission. They're yes. Saying, I wonder who's going to tell me, give me permission to do this. I say, don't wait to get permission. Just go do it. Just go do it. Use your judgment, clearly. Yep. Use your judgment, but 
absolutely. Oh my God. When I was at a different company where everything was delayed, there was a project that had set around for like two years. And uh, my buddy is like a high level guy. He was saying like, I think these people just want someone to say yes. So <laughs> I just told him like, yes, fucking do it. Like, yeah. why have we had two years of meetings on this simple, simple thing? Yes, you can do it. It's fine. Oh yeah. Like I remember... I mean, this this actually goes back to some kind of, like, core IO phenomena of, like, are you making, like, is there one person to make a decision or do we have to make consensus-driven decisions? Oh, and in a consensus-driven culture, it's almost impossible to oh, make a decision sometimes. Because, yes. like, I've literally been in that situation before where, like, I will step up. I will say, we are doing this, yes. And people are like, thank God somebody actually made a decision. <laughs> <laughs> It is so, so true. So true. Uh, obviously, yeah. different cultures exist. Yeah. Across, and, like, geographically, cultures differ as well. You get, like, the Hofstede dimensions. You get, like, these uh, highly collectivistic cultures. Mm-hmm. You see, like, just different patterns in their needs to uh, gather consensus. We've covered a lot of ground. Do you want to do some, do yeah. some nerdery? Let's do some nerdery. Let's do some nerding, man. So. What's our, what's our first topic for the day? Do you know? <sighs> I know the one I want to go last. All right. Well, that means then anything else can go first. I think that we get some good support if we go chat GBT. Let's go chat GBT. Okay. All right. Do you want me to go through this one? Yeah, yeah, you do that. So I was looking through, um, and this is a month old now, which the crazy part is I think a lot of these are already outdated because so much has changed in the last month. But somebody made a a combo. um, I can't use words today. A combination of all the cool like life hacks that you could do with chat GPT and they made a list of the top 10 so number one was connecting chat GPT with like whatsapp or any of kind of your messaging apps and it will um, like send messages for you and I've already seen a lot of these different applications where uh, I saw a meme of this where somebody was like eventually you'll say like I'll be writing an email to you and I'll say email Scott and say some nice things to him about this. And then ChatGPT will create this long message that's very, you know, flowery about mm-hmm. nice things to you. And then you, when you receive it, will say, distill down Cole's email to what he's actually saying. <laughs> and so it'll take all of what I say and you'll say, Cole says nice things about you. <laughs> and so both people will be using ChatGPT to, like, really, like, not have to read anything. That's a great sentiment. And, uh... Uh, I've been accused of not reading my email anyway, so don't really check my personal email anyway. Fair enough. Well, let me see. Like, you've got a few of these. I'll, I'll just uh, touch on them and see if you want to bite. So you've got – you can do YouTube uh, summaries with ChatGPT or tweet summaries, uh, Google search summaries as well, and using ChatGPT as your search engine. Um, and there's lots <laughs> of different prompts now to be able to um, – basically use chat gpt to like write whole articles which i feel like is coming up a lot lately well yeah we talked to marcus creed and creday whatever his name is creday. um i i think the if i had to like factor analyze this it's chat gpt is a skill and just like being able to google things is is a highly valued skill like someone that can like, really type in and find the answer that you need right now like i think in the future you're going to see people that can use chat gbt and people that can't and they're going to be light years ahead see i heard um hop on well hop let me on. let me say one thing real quick before we jump in because i actually have the exact opposite thought what do you think well because like right when it came out there were like people like oh i'm gonna be the best chat ggpt person ever out there and, and so i'm gonna learn all the secret hacks to do prompts and everything and I, one of the things that we said on the podcast when we first covered it, i said this is the worst chat gpt will ever be it's only going to get better yes and when it gets better you're not going to need to have skills to do prompts like that's my thought on it it's like even the least skilled person is going to be – because that's what the intelligence part of AI is, is the intelligence is going to figure out what you want and it's going to find it anyway. It's going to overcome your limitations. So are you like painting like a nihilist future where none of us have jobs? Kind of, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair. Well, nice knowing you. Yeah, nice knowing you too. <laughs> we'll just have chat GBT podcast. I've got some great just... Kool-Aid over here. Want to try it? <laughs> well, I mean like uh, – <clears throat> What do you, what do you want to say, Tillman? Hop on this. 
I was just going to respond when he said he said the future. I'm like, I don't think it's a future. I think I think, <laughs> no, I, think there. a, I think there's a, a a lot of energy being poured into understanding how to leverage these technologies because not just chat GPT. Yes. Today. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of competition coming. Bard and Sparrow and all of those. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Scott and I were talking earlier today. I said, what what worries me is not what we know, but What's going on in the skunk works? Yeah, you know, so every company has their own doors. Yeah, own projects going on. It's not released yet. A lot and of proprietary stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, the the kind of early adopter part of my brain says like, oh, I appreciate the novelty of all of this. That's why when I saw the list of like the top ten things you could do with it, I was super excited. But then the other part of my brain is the wait and see part, where I'm like. That the the killer app of all of this actually hasn't been invented yet. No. It's like the the substrate of it has, but the things that come on top of it that have like I think it's going to take six to eighteen months to really see that unfold. That's what's really going to be changing. I think a lot of how we do our day to day kind of interactions. I mean that's that's not far away. I agree. And like especially these IOs in the room, you're going to have to think about this. This is, and you're going to lead the forefront of it, really, mm-hmm. on how people interact with this, what it means for jobs, what it means for uh, employee attitudes, everything. Well, I think I've said this on the podcast before, and this is a quote from the social scientist, Jonathan Haidt. But he said, the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. So we're already living in the future. And, like, think about, you know, the few people that work at OpenAI or at Google or wherever who are doing this. They're already living in the future of, like, GPT-4, which is the, right. the thing that comes after GPT-3, which is what Chad GPT is based off of. And, you know, we don't know what that's like, but they do. And that's crazy. Well, it's, it's also crazy that you're going to have uh, this robot, ostensibly, mm-hmm. that is going to be the arbiter of truth as well, based on the corpus of knowledge that's fed into it. You got something to say, Shane? No, I was just agreeing. Oh, that's thank you. Um, freaks me out. Yeah, I mean, like, if, if uh, say you wanted to use this for automatic item generation for assessments, you could definitely do that right now, but it could also produce wild adverse impact um, just See, based like, on what's going to layer further it. than that, which is, uh, like, the other person is going to be using their app to game the assessment to make it seem like <laughs> they were intelligent. So you're, regardless, if you can create infinite items, they're still not going to be able to you know, and maybe we're gonna have to go back to like proctored paper assessments yes. to actually learn what a person yes. does. Like we're gonna have to go full analog on everything. But like, what what's the value of that? It'd be it'd be like uh, like disallowing someone from using a calculator and a math test. Like you don't need to know what two hundred fourteen times one eleven is. Or well, I whatever. feel like this was like the whole vein of sci-fi in the past but like sci-fi is becoming just like normalcy now which is like what is the value of human intelligence like what is its value like these discussions have happened for a long period of time but people are like oh that's kind of a novel discussion it's very theoretical would never have to worry about this now we're actually having to worry is like what is the value of a phd anymore Mm -hmm. what is the value of people analytics anymore when you know potentially like, I just imagine a day, just to put this in the context of people analytics or Iowa psychology research for that matter, imagine a lot of what an analyst job is rows and columns and spreadsheets, right? It just, just thousands, hundreds of thousands of rows and, you know, hundreds if not thousands of columns. Well, imagine you just gave that to a tool like ChatGPT and said, find me there everything there is to know from this spreadsheet and then prioritize it in order of what we should do about it. That's essentially people analytics in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Like, and that to me could be automated in like the next six to 18 months. So we're out of the job essentially, or, or like you just like uh, go into these more higher order functions, OD. But what is much higher than that? Like in in all seriousness, like the best people who do this still, in my opinion, most of what they're doing is is going above just one step above okay here's what the analysis said and then getting into the prescriptive space of here what here's what we should do about it there's no layer above what we should do about it there's no like 
super prescriptive, you know, like, (laughs) and like that, and I feel like we're really on the precipice of that happening. So like, once again, I I feel like it's a, it's a tool and I have had the pleasure of working with several like old school folks that like literally had to like hand calculate Mm -hmm. correlation tables and then you like, we're we're in their presence, you know, right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, I mean, you, you translate that over into like the emergence of computers and like now you can do things faster and like the whole goal and like you hear this like kind of uh, mantra in organizations like you know we want to free up time for more interesting work and like yeah no one wants to mm-hmm. you know calculate residuals and this sort of thing but I, I think this is like another tool that will get us there but it's not going to be perfect and I think I think there's gonna be like backlash too because it is going to like produce potentially yeah, adverse a- impact and Hesitance. People are going to be hesitant. Well, I mean, that's where Humans the Humans are going to be the, the limiting factors here. I think a lot of people know the word Luddites, mm-hmm. but they actually don't know what the Luddites were. These are the people that broke up the uh, printing presses? Yeah, they would, like, go around with, like, yeah. baseball bats and, like, hit, like, imagine a day in the future where people are, like, wearing T-shirts. It's, like, ban AI, you know, or, <laughs> like, I, I really think that in the next year you're going to see stuff like this very prominently. Well, uh, yes. Anything else to add there? Nothing, nothing. That's not where I thought this was going to go. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> we can definitely do this. Um, so let's let's go to probably the craziest IO. I don't even know how to set this up. But have you heard of, like, toxoplasmosis? So when I hear that word... I think that that's, like, something from a sci-fi movie where, like, an alien eats your body and turns it to mush. Is that what toxoplasmosis is? I mean, it's not terribly far off. Okay. So it is a parasite that afflicts 30 to 40% of the world population, and it can alter your cognitive and pers- cognition and personality. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. So Do we have it in this room right now? <laughs> we, we very very well could. So this article is called Puppet Master, Possible Influence of Parasite Toxoplasmosa, Plasma, pardon me, Gandhi on Managers and Employees. So it's it's a theoretical piece, like, because once again, 30 to 40% of the world's population is afflicted. Apparently there's a big outbreak in France. It's largely undeveloped countries, but you get it by eating uh, raw meat or raw vegetables this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way the parasite works is that it wants to get from an in- intermediary rat into a cat. So apparently it reproduces sexually within a cat's belly. And what it does is it causes the rat to uh, become totally unafraid of the cat. So you have these videos of this, these rats like actually dancing in front of a cat trying to get eaten, but it doesn't lose its fear of any other predator. But the parasite doesn't necessarily know it's in a rat's body. And, of course, humans are not going to be eaten by a cat in theory. But in humans, it uh, reduces novelty-seeking. It um, slower cognition. Excuse me. uh, Makes – I can't even read my own writing here. Yeah, because I didn't read it, so you got to figure that out. (laughs) Lower novelty-seeking. It makes people seek out – tasks that are more methodological, but it also lowers their conscientiousness, raises their extroversion. In men, it raises testosterone. In women, it lowers testosterone. And um, I wonder how that helps it reproduce, like the rat and the cat. It, it has to reproduce in a cat's belly. Okay, so it can't reproduce in humans. Can't reproduce in humans. It infects us. infects you and changes your personality. So it makes, it makes you more impulsive. It like makes men more like want to fight because it increases their testosterone. It makes women less want to fight because it decreases theirs. It didn't really get into that. It okay. just got into raising lower testosterone. And it's all correlational studies okay. at this point. But it makes people more jealous. And the idea behind the article is that, you know, you could have an impulsive manager mm-hmm. that uh, has an impact on their team because they're making mm-hmm. these bad decisions because they're infected by this parasite. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I wonder, so there, there's, like, the part of me that thinks, like, what if you looked at a whole society where you knew, like, a substantial portion were infected? Exactly. And, like, that's probably having impacts on their whole, like, GDP and, you know, like, their whole ability to 
I don't know, be economically viable. And there's another article that uh, we'll link to it, but essentially shows that the vast majority of people that start their own companies mm-hmm. infected. Really? <laughs> Entrepreneurs. Now I'm just, I, I don't know if this is what they call it. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's like something called like first year medical studentitis or whatever, where every medical student when they're researching thinks they have every disease that they're learning about. But I feel like I have this disease right now. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm just learning about it. This other one is uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Parasite infection is associated with entrepreneurial initiation, engagement and performance. I didn't actually read this one. It's 2020. But yeah, I had the same thoughts like, oh, I definitely have this. Like I eat semi-raw meat on occasion. I never really lived around a cat, but am I impulsive? Yeah, sometimes, you know. Oh do you, do you know anybody that's uh, I mean, like, like this? Yeah. Besides me? <laughs> well, I think that's actually why we hit it off. <laughs> I'm like my rethinking God. my whole life in this moment. <laughs> oh, my God. There's definitely some people that I run across that I'm like – why are you making that decision? It's not, you know, it's a judgment call, this sort of thing, but, like, I just don't understand the thought process behind it. Like, in the world of possibilities, you choose that. Well, it kind of does give them a, give them a get-out-of-jail-free card, which is like, it's look, I've got a toxic parasite yeah. changing my judgment. It's God. not my fault. And it's like, these are right. <laughs> is there a way of getting rid of it? Did they say that? Like, can you, like, I don't know. Neuralink. Neuralink. Well, so it, it's, it's cyst... That I, I read the entire article just because I was like, wildly fascinating. Mm-hmm. But it's like cysts that embed in your brain. What the hell? Yeah. And it's randomly distributed in people's brains. So really? I don't know if there's a... Now I'm like super freaked out. I'm going to have to get like wow. super rabbit hole on the internet after this <laughs> conversation. Well, it, this reminds me of uh, – maybe my citation folks can help me out here. But it was um, a lot of our theories in I.O. are based on the most conscientious responders – to surveys oh yeah <laughs> you know so like you Correct. you base all your theories on this like sort of subset of the population so are we building theories based on a certain population that is absolutely I infected mean, by a brain altering controlling parasites well I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day where the like political polling has a very similar problem similar problem to this where it's like only like 80-year-old women are taking the phone calls where they ask, like, who are you going to vote for? Mm-hmm. And so they can't build these representative samples of, like, who's going to win. And so, like, all the polling is off nowadays. <laughs> and I feel like that's the same problem that we're having is, like, just extremely conscientious people respond to our stuff, and we're building all of our theories around those folks. I mean, we, we somewhat saw that in the uh, Trump election where, like, mm-hmm. all the polling essentially said that he was going to lose. Yeah, but it's happening in every election now. I don't know if you're following this at all, but it's like it's like a really big problem. Just polling's totally off. Polling in general, yeah. Is it like a social network issue? Like people don't want to uh, rock the boat, so don't give their true opinions. Well, I think there's a little bit of that, but I mean, think about this. Do you ever get those random phone calls and somebody's like, "Hey, what are you voting for?" I don't answer. Or do my you phone take or... a text message? Yeah. Or do you do anything? You are the problem. <laughs> See, it's because you aren't responding, yeah. and you are everybody, like me included. None of us are responding except for like the you know the eighty year old grandmother. And she's like, oh, I would love to talk. <laughs> How is, are you doing today? Is it Greco 2015? Is that the citation? Anybody? No? I don't know. No, I have an embarrassing amount of, like, unread text messages and unanswered phone calls on my phone right now. Yeah. Like, like, okay, so, like, I travel around Seattle on public transit. I don't have a car there. And I've essentially noticed that, like, a society – We've all kind of agreed that our phones should not make noises, like as far yeah. as like being ringing, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And like I spent the last week with my folks, and like they're they're older. <laughs> that ringtone. Yes. Oh god, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, at, at the same time, you you I also see people have no problem like playing a video full blast, like yeah, playing their TikToks or this sort of thing. It's a really interesting dynamic. That's what happens when cultures clash. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you would do one last one? Let's do one last part of the nerdery. Uh, this is, what is this called? Oh, goodness gracious, I don't have it pulled up just yet. Hidden wisdom or pseudo-profound bullshit, the effect of speaker admirability. So, yeah, um, pseudo-bullshit, technical term, apparently. You can write anything. It's in top journals. So essentially they find that uh, based on the admirability of the person giving this sort of advice, 
you either uh, aspire to gain more uh, understanding from it or you just like totally dismiss it. That's the general premise mm-hmm. of the article. Uh, I see you have it pulled up right now. Do you see any of these sort of things that are considered Well, I, I was just going to read the, kind of the, 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 the hot takeaway, which sure. is when people we admire spout pseudo-profound bullshit, yes, it's a technical term, we actually achieve enlightenment. This paper shows it causes recipients to search for and find real meaning. It only works when those we admire say pseudo-profound things. So I, I, I assume that what they're saying is if you actually said something really profound, you wouldn't go search and find meaning. It's only when you say pseudo-profound things that you go search and find meaning. So like I, I love their list of people that are considered uh, admirable. <laughs> I'm not even going to read the non-admirable ones. <laughs> well, it's like... Uh, Charlie Sheen, <laughs> Bill Justin Cosby, Bieber, Harvey Weinstein, Nicki Minaj, Paris Hilton, Richard Nixon, Kim Kardashian. On the other hand, you have uh, Bruce Lee is on the good side. Jackie Chan, Michelle Obama, Nelson Mandela, Princess Diana. I don't even think I ever heard her speak. But regardless. Jackie Chan, yeah. yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett, a few of those types. Do you have any uh, profound bullshit to share with us? That's, oh, yeah, sorry. It's <laughs> like it's actually right in front of me. Um, so pseudo-profound bullshit sounds something like this. As beings of light, we are local and non-local, time-bound and timeless, actuality and possibility. Mind and matter are subtle, sub, I can't even read that word, subtle and dense vibrations of consciousness. Nature is self-regulating ecosystem of awareness. That Consciousness is, so is the growth of coherence of us. Do you feel better now? I need more meaning there. And they did have control ones. So like a control uh, version would be, a balanced diet is important for maintaining good health. Yeah, I can see why these aren't inspiring. <laughs> Children sometimes look a lot like their parents. Newborn babies require constant attention. Yeah, these are very, just very, you know... <laughs> Dry statements. But, but what are the signs? What are the signs that you might be in a pseudo bullshit thing? Like, right? I, I think when somebody says true leadership is. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think it's when like uh, I just like spitball in the air. Like when you have to like search for meaning, and uh, quite quite literally, you don't understand what they're saying. That's what it is. You're attached to it. Exactly. <laughs> it becomes enlightenment. It's your own thoughts. Yeah, yeah that's that's perfect, Matt. Perfect. Well, it seemed like a lot of them where you were saying two opposite things, but people get to choose the one that's enlightening to them. Yeah. Right? And so you're saying, like, we're all incredibly large, but small at the same time. And if you're like, I'm feeling small today. I feel large. And if you're feeling large, you're like, I, I could really feel smaller. You're like, I feel small now. And so it's just like choose your own adventure kind of. Have you ever been to a motivational speaker, like seeing one talk? I did for free at um, sales. What's sales, Salesforce big conference? Dreamforce. They have like know. these like it's like a mega conference. It has like a hundred thousand people, and they have all these events. They had like U two played. They brought in Tony Robbins, and I got to hear Tony Robbins speak. U U two the band. U two the band. Holy cow! Yeah, it's like the biggest conference. Yeah, it's in downtown San Francisco. I went to it a few years ago. I could hear Tony Robbins speak. At first, I was like, he's so full of it. By the end, I was like, this guy's amazing. I love this. It's <laughs> like the best. I derive so much meaning from yeah. Tony Robbins. It just, I mean, he, he used a lot of, <laughs> after the fact, I was thinking about it. I was like, what did he do that made me feel so good? He just, like, hacks, like, all of your physiology. He's like, people are, you know, sitting down too long. I'm going to make them stand up. Yeah. People are feeling lonesome. I'm going to make them talk to their neighbor. Like, he does a lot of, like, hacky type things, but it really works. And so you leave it and you're like, I feel amazing, and I made 10 new friends. And, you know, I'm going to go start setting five new goals for myself. Sounds like the Catholic Church. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> go to Mass. I was thinking totally, totally, totally different about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking about the standing up and sitting down and meeting yeah. new people, setting yeah. new goals. Never been. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Well, I don't know if we have anything else. Uh, anyone, something to share? Have you guys heard about Terrence Howard and his new system of maps? Terrence Howard, no. There's new new math? Get on the, uh, (laughs) what's math? Yeah, it's like one plus one not equal to anymore? I mean, not that it ever did. Close. So, Terrence Howard, for those of you 
who aren't uh, familiar from Iron Man One. He was. Oh. Uh, uh, I forget. What, I forget who he played in there, but um, so he has developed a new system of math that also includes the concept that zero does not exist. So okay. is that a joke? Because that's the best joke I've ever heard. <laughs> zero does not exist because zero doesn't exist. It's it's not Whoa. a number. Zero does not exist because everything exists. There is no nothing, and everything is a part of everything. Therefore, zero does not exist. Okay, this seems like some super profound bullshit. Yeah. That's what caught <laughs> okay. me thinking about. It. A quote from him: If one times one equals one, that means that two is of no value because one times itself has no effect. One times one equals two, because the square root of four is two. So what's the square root of two? Should be one, but we're told it's two, and that cannot be. See, these are the things I miss about being in PhD programs. I couldn't have this conversation at work ever. But like here, it's like, yeah, this is totally normal. <laughs> the the concept of zero is like really intriguing. So uh, if I if I recall correctly, I'm going to get this wrong. So directionally correct. Like after the fall of Rome, like essentially. Uh, everything broke up into these different like city states, and like essentially knowledge is lost. We went to the dark ages, this mm -hmm. sort of thing, and they uncovered these like scrolls from the Arabs, and it had the concept of zero. They never seen this before, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" You know? Yeah, and that was the first time that uh, they were really. In That's my variant on this is, I, I again very directionally correct, but like zero was invented way after numbers were invented. Because people, like, it, it took them a while to discover the concept of zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like a placeholder for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Like, they, zero existed just as a placeholder for sales, like, tracking and stuff. Nice. But the concept was thought to be, like, mythologically unsound because of its representativeness of nothingness. Yeah. If you really want to go crazy, about think about the reason why numbers switch from, to, like, one digit to two digits after ten. It doesn't have to be ten. It could be nine, it could be eight, and if you really <laughs> want to screw fingers? with your mind, yeah, it's it's well. The reason why it was ten is because it was hands. They, they like they just arbitrarily like, hey, we have ten of these, so let's switch it to that. But like, I've heard, I'm not a mathematician. The, I heard at one point somebody said it was actually a much more elegant version is if you did it after seven, and I don't know why. But if you were to just numbers for the move from one digit to the next, they that's like, crazy. They like football, football scores and sevens. I've always heard base 12 was like this. Base 12, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, yeah. I'm wrong often. He was referencing zero, right? Yeah. Zero. It's like, it's like zero biography of the number yeah. or something. That seems like Man, an anti-self-help so, book. That's a way to go zero, to sleep Zero, you were worthless. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. Number to talk about. <laughs> this isn't a number. Yeah, who wants to talk about pie for half an hour? Let's go. <laughs> um, if we're actually going to do this, I'm going to go to the restroom real quick. <laughs> Are we done? Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks everyone for joining. Yeah, thank us. you for doing really this. Really appreciate it. You guys continue talking. As always, all opinions are our own and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott, powered by Orgnostic.